Good morning, Mercy House, and uh, lots of other folks um, that are uh, joining us this morning. We want to welcome you and uh, want to let you know that we're starting another sermon series. Uh, this is our summer sermon series called Upward and Onward. It's from the book of Philippians, uh, and we've uh, been dropping these by and mailing these little scripture journals uh, that have the book of Philippians in them, but also have a portion of a blank space where you can write notes and so I'm hoping those of you that have gotten these, you're getting these out, you're using them this morning. If you haven't gotten them and you'd like one, you can certainly uh, just, just in the chat feature there, just let us know and we'll be happy to, to send one to you or bring one by. But uh, we're hoping this will be helpful to you uh, both on Sunday morning, but also Wednesday night when uh, we're discussing uh, the content of, of the sermon. Uh, so what, what Paul writes to the uh, church at Philippi, I, I think, is, has a lot to, to tell us. Uh, in 2020. Uh, these uh, tumultuous times that we're in, both because of COVID and also uh, finishing up the 12th night of protests uh, that we've seen all around the country, uh, I, I think uh, you'll be pleasantly surprised that uh, Philippians has a lot to say to us uh, in regard uh, to what we're going through here uh, in, in 2020. Um, Paul writes uh, this to a church that he planted um, we know the backstory of that from Acts chapter 16, and you might even want to, you know, turn turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 16, just as I'm talking through this backstory. But uh, it's 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 uh, uh, an area that was modern day uh, Greece. Uh, it was Paul's second uh, missionary journey. You can see on this little map here that uh, he starts off there on the left. You see Antioch, and then it moves up uh, to about 900 miles. Uh, past Antioch into this area known as Macedonia. And the way that Paul gets there is that he's, he's trying to get the gospel into some new places in Asia. Uh, they're around Troas, and uh, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit was forbidding them to speak the word in Asia. Don't know exactly what that means, but uh, in general it means that as he's tried to get an open door for gospel ministry, it just wasn't opening. And so he's frustrated, he's praying, he's thinking, he's trying to figure out what to do next, and then he has a vision. And in this vision, also in Acts chapter 16, uh, he sees a man from Macedonia. And this man from Macedonia uh, is saying, would you come and help us? And so Paul interprets that vision as being from God and being an indicator that they should now move into Macedonia uh, and bring the gospel to a place where it's never been, ever. And so this is how the gospel gets into Europe, basically. Uh, and so they, they hop in a boat, they go across the Aegean Sea, they, they get uh, on the other side into uh, Macedonia. Uh, they're looking for an open door for the gospel. And as they uh, move from town to town, they eventually end up in Philippi, and they find someone who's open to the gospel. And this, this first person in Europe um, that's open to the gospel is a Jewish woman named Lydia. And they find her uh, by the river, uh, and, and she's praying on, on, on the Sabbath day. And this is what you would do if you were Jewish in the first century and there was no synagogue. There wasn't enough of a Jewish population in your town to have a synagogue. You would gather at the river. And so Paul knew that. And so Paul and Silas show up on, uh, on the Sabbath, and they're looking for folks that are worshiping uh, God. And so they find some, they start to have a conversation with them, and they, they start talking to Lydia. And uh, the, the scripture says, uh, the Lord opened her heart to what Paul was saying. And so this is like the liftoff of the Philippian church, this first convert 
in the continent of Europe, uh, this well-to-do businesswoman uh, with this Jewish faith that hears the gospel and responds uh, with saving faith. And then things start to get really interesting. Um, the next person that's affected by the gospel ministry of Paul and Silas is a, a slave girl who is demon-possessed, and she's being used by her owner uh, to tell people's fortunes, and so people are paying this, this uh, owner of this uh, slave girl for these fortunes. And so the, 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 the demonic presence in this girl's life is like crying out to, to Paul and screaming at him, and it's, the, the text literally says he gets annoyed. Um, and so he drives out this demon, and so this is like this, the second person of the Philippian church, is this demon-possessed slave girl who is now free uh, from demonic oppression. This is about the most marginalized person you could have found in the Roman Empire. And so now we, we've gone from a very well-to-do businesswoman to now a slave girl who's being freed from demonic oppression. Now, this causes things to get even more interesting. Uh, the owner of the slave girl gets upset because he's losing money. Uh, he drags Paul and Silas uh, to the officials in the town. They lie about what they've been doing. They convince authorities that they've broken laws. An angry mob breaks out, um, strips them, beats them, and then eventually uh, they convince the authorities to imprison them. And so... Uh, we have Paul and Silas, these uh, two Jewish men who are in the middle, uh, the most secure place in a Roman prison, and their feet are in stocks. They've been beaten uh, by, with, with rods by an angry mob. I mean, the injustice of this is hard to comprehend, right? Two preachers who traveled 900 miles to give the good news that God the Father loves these people so much that he sent his own son to die for their sins. They freed a demon-possessed uh, woman. They, they've been falsely accused, attacked by a mob, stripped, beaten, shackled, humiliated. And in the midst of that, this is what Paul and Silas do. They start praying and singing. Acts 16, 23 describes what they've gone through. When they read had been inflicted, inflicted with many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their, uh, fastened their feet uh, in stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. These, these men have been thoroughly mistreated in the midst of that, are praying and singing. Now, they don't know that God has something up his sleeve, <laughs> And in the middle of this little song session, an earthquake occurs, the prison doors fly open. You'd think Paul and Silas would run for their lives. Instead, they stay around. The jailer's awakened. Uh, he's beside himself, even just considering killing himself because he doesn't want to have to deal with Roman authorities uh, because of the prison break. And Paul stops him and says, no, we're all, we're all here. And then this great question from this Gentile jailer saying, what? must we do to be saved? Long story short, the jailer and his family become Christians. So this is the start of the Philippian church. Well-to-do Jewish uh, businesswoman and her family, a formerly demon-possessed slave girl and a Gentile prison warden and his family. All in the midst of a brutal, xenophobic, 
unjust Roman Empire. We need to hear this story. We need to hear this story of the Philippian church. We live in a time that's much less brutal, of course, than the Roman Empire, where people are treated better, yet our society is still unjust. We've seen a number of recent examples of this injustice, not the least of which the death of George Floyd. In the past, I think when these kinds of videos and stories have come out, there's been uh, more kind of 50-50 division about, well, uh, that police officer is just violent, he's not racist, or uh, brutality is not systemic, and there's just some bad eggs and things like that. But I think more and more Americans, myself included, as, as we've watched this, we realize that if George Floyd would have been me, okay, if he'd been white robber, 51 years old, in, in, a, in, a, in a better, uh, a, a more affluent neighborhood, right, that, that that would not have happened to me. Even if I would, uh, had been alleged of using a counterfeit $20 bill, there would not be a police officer on my neck. And so as we watch that, we, we know, <laughs> we know that because George Floyd was black, because he was poor, he was being treated like that. He was being treated as if his life mattered less than other people. And, and when we see that, we see it as evil. We see it as something that should not be. And so this is, this is the, the essence of, of Black Lives Matter, right? It's, it's saying that black lives matter just as much as white lives. That, that poor lives matter just as much as rich lives matter. Like, like that, that these lives, that, that because of racism or... Uh, implicit racism, the, the, the things that we're not even aware of, that certain lives are considered less worthy than others. We know as Christians that is absolutely evil mm. and something that has to be confronted. Mm. And I think part of what makes this so painful is that we have laws on the books. We, we've gone through the time of civil rights where Laws were instated to ensure that everyone was treated equally. We have hate crime laws. We have a system of checks and balances. Uh, we have an awareness that racism is bad. I mean, I think if you, if you talk to 99.5% of Americans and say, is racism bad? They're going to say, yes, it's, it's, it's bad. And yet it persists. Yet it persists. I, I think this is part of the pain of watching these kinds of things out. So how do we fix it? I mean, that's what, that's what we're all asking, right? We're asking, we, we know it's bad, how, how do we fix it? And, and I think as a, as a society, we're, we're starting to understand how we fix it. One is awareness, another is activism, and another is accountability. As I, as I hear folks talking about just how do we fix it, how do we fix it, these are, these are kind of three things that seem to bubble up most of, of the time. So, so the, just the awareness that this is existing. This isn't just some bad eggs. This is, this is actually systemic. And so, and so being aware of that through conversations with our friends who are of color and have gone through these things year after year after year. Uh, I think doing some, some reading. I don't, I don't think we need to, to, to put all the pressure on our friends of color to help us 
if, if we're white, uh, to understand these things. And so doing, doing some reading. I mean, the, the most recent book I've read in this area is The Color of Compromise. And you notice that we're doing a, a small group uh, on that. And, and so I, th I think these kinds of things are, are helpful to, to become more aware. And the awareness is raising in, in large part because of activism. These stories would not have been in the news. They wouldn't have stayed in the news if it wasn't for the last 12 nights of protest. But, but because of the insistence of many throughout our country that, that this is a problem, it's, it's pushed up those, those stories, those issues, those, those ideas have been pushed up in our news feeds. And so awareness and activism, uh, but of course accountability. So, so keeping our institutions accountable um, and, and, you know, I, I think we know because institutions are made up of sinful people that there, there's always going to be this bent towards corruption. And so the necessity to continue to root that corruption out is absolutely uh, necessary. And, and, and as Christians, we're compelled by the gospel to, to press into our institutions and, and to insist that these institutions are held uh, accountable. In addition to that, as Christians, uh, we're also compelled to carve out a society within the society. And this is known as the church. And so this is, this is what uh, Paul is, is speaking to in the book of Philippians. is trying to help these Philippians figure out how to carve a society out inside uh, the Roman uh, society. And, and so I, I think part of the hope that's in this is that the thing that we all long for I think whether we're Christian or not, is that humanity would actually love each other, not just tolerate each other, not, not just try to, to maintain a just society because we're afraid that we're going to get caught and the rules are going to hammer us, but because we, we want to we live in a world where we actually love each other. And church, you have the resources to actually live that out as church and also bring that into uh, the greater society. And so much of this, I think, we'll, we'll see in, in the book of Philippians. It's a powerful, powerful uh, book of instruction for the church and how to be the church and how to be the church in the world. So, how, how do we carve out this, this society within a society? Um, uh, as we look at the opening and the closing of the book, I think it's very interesting. There's some reoccurring themes uh, that give us some really strong hints as to how we actually pull this off. And so uh, as we look at the book of Philippians, the, the, the way that, that this kind of society within the society comes about is that we, by the gospel, are transformed into saints, into siblings, and into servants. Saints and siblings and servants. This is our, our three main ideas here. Notice he uses the word saint a lot in both the opening and the closing. Uh, Philippians 1.1, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 4, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. Over and over and over again, he calls them saints, and he calls himself and his team uh, Saints. Now, what is, what is a saint? What does it mean that, that Paul is calling us saints? The, the Greek word hagios, uh, it means holy one. Um, what it's not talking about is the Roman Catholic view 
of, of saints, which is that sort of certain Christians who have been especially obedient to God uh, kind of have a unique status inside uh, the family of faith. Paul's using it differently. He's, he's saying everyone who's a Christian is considered a saint. Now you think, how can this be? I mean, <laughs> I don't feel much like a saint today, perhaps, right? And so what you need to understand is your position as a saint is not something you accomplish for you. It's something God accomplishes for you. This is, this is how you become a hagios, a holy one. And so this is true of you. If you've been a Christian for a week or you've been a Christian for decades, you're a saint. This is why Paul can say to the, all of the Philippians, you are saints. Now, how is it that, that you can become a saint? How, how can you be made holy? Well, short answer is by grace. It's by grace. Look at Philippians 1, uh, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is how he follows up his declaration that these are saints. And so grace is something that's given to you. It's a, it's a gift. It's something you cannot earn. Uh, it's something you don't deserve. But it is something you need to be made holy. There's no other way that you can be made holy except by this free gift of grace. And where do you get this free gift of grace? You get it uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how, how he puts those together. And so it's a way to encapsulate the gospel message. Uh, he's saying that this gift is not free, right? It, 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 at least not for, to the giver. It's free to the receiver, that's us. But it is not free to the, to the giver, that the giver, God the Father, has given his divine son as the gift that is needed for us to become saints. And so Christ, who's become a human, lived a perfect life, died in the place of sinners. It is that gift that now not only saves us from sin, but transfers us into a new identity of saint. And so this is how uh, a Jewish woman and a Gentile jailer and, and a slave girl could become family, right? It's because first and foremost, they were made saints. They've been, they've been given an upward identity of being a holy one, of being a saint. And this, is, this, this, this uh, sainthood, so to speak, is, it is absolutely secured in heaven. And listen to Paul talk about this in Ephesians 2, verses 5 and 6. He says, uh, even, when you were dead in our, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see what he's doing there? He's describing a sinner saved by grace who's been lifted up into the heavenlies. Right? And so this is, this is our upward identity. This, this is the identity we've been given that is sealed in heaven. Now, that we have this upward identity, we also have an onward identity in, in, this, in this world. Um, and so this is where we get to the next descriptor of being siblings. So Philippians 4 uh, 21 says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me greet you. You see what he's doing there? He's saying, you saints and we brothers, right? Or we siblings, brothers and uh, sisters. And so this upward identity has onward uh, implications, especially for church members. As, as we live out this reality in a local setting. We live this out with our local church. 
Now, certainly we are brothers and sisters with every Christian on the planet, but, but in terms of like a practical working out of that uh, family is we're working this out in the local church. And again, this is something our, our society is longing for. We, we're asking the question, is there a way for, for the rich and the poor, the black and the white, the male and the female to actually live in harmony together, to actually love each other and be family? And the answer is yes. It is possible. And it's possible because of the gospel. Now, again, does this, does this mean we don't work for equity in society. No, absolutely. We, we, we must. But we also realize that it is by God's grace in the gospel that, that we can actually live this out at a level really unimaginable to most of the world as they try to figure out some of, the, of these issues that we're, we're working on, that we're facing. This is how the, the, the Jewish businesswoman and the Gentile jailer, the, this, this slave girl. This is how they could become siblings, is by the grace of the gospel. They are saints, and they are siblings. Paul describes it this way in Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That's such a hope there. He's saying that you who were once hostile towards each other, Christ has broken that down because you are now siblings and you can become one. And notice he's coupling this grace and peace, right? In Philippians 1, 2, grace to you and peace. This gospel grace has not only purchased peace with God in this new relationship whereby we're saints, but has also bought peace with each other in this onward identity of being uh, siblings. Now, we have an opportunity to live this out at Mercy House. We have the opportunity to live this out. Because of the colleges in our region, we live in an area that there are many, many uh, people from different countries, many different races uh, that live in our our little college town. And consequently, they come in, in through our doors in our church every year. People from all over the world. People from different ethnicities, different cultural backgrounds, different languages even. And, and so why is this? Why is this that we have people from, from China and South Korea and Rwanda and Cape Verde? Like, what, what is it? <laughs> what is it? And, and so what it is, it's, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. Um, it, 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 do we try to welcome everyone? Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we work at that. We need to work harder. But the reason is, is because of the gospel. That people are, people are coming around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we, we have the opportunity to become the very society that people in society are, are hungry for, are longing for. And so this, this upward identity as saint and this onward identity of sibling, this is what's real for us as Christians. Now, as we know, it's, it's not just that easy. It's not, it's not just that easy to just, just kind of declare these platitudes and say, okay, now not, have a nice day, right? Uh, it's not that easy. We, we have a tendency as simply human beings to clump up with those that are like us. And so 
that, that is something that we are constantly having to work uh, against. And so this, this uh, is, I think, why Paul adds this other descriptor, this third descriptor of servant. This is, not, this is the other thing he, he mentions in the Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So this family of siblings who are also saints is never going to come about unless those saints and siblings serve one another. Um, we'll hear Paul uh, give a brilliant, I mean, profound exhortation to this in Philippians chapter 2, where he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so he's describing these saints and siblings putting aside their own interests in order to take seriously, more seriously, the, the interests of others. And so this, this, this family that the church can be because of the gospel will only occur if we take on the role of servants. Paul is modeling this, and, and I, I think this is that this role of servant is even more important for those who are leading the church. And so we see Paul saying, describing Paul and Timothy as these servants in the name of Christ. Uh, Paul could have said, Paul, I am the apostle, right? And he has every right to say that. And, and, and sometimes he does say that in his letters when he deems that most appropriate. But here, that's not what he says. Here he says, we are servants of Christ Jesus, even slaves. I mean, this, this Greek word doulos could even be translated uh, slave. But I think, you know, he mentions the overseers, the, the, the deacons, these leaders. Uh, he's definitely modeling for those leaders in that church. Hey, I'm a servant. Even though I'm the Apostle Paul, I'm a servant. And so uh, are you. And how, how, do, how do we do this? Again, it's, it's by grace. It's by grace. Look at Philippians 4.23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He's letting them know this, this grace that comes from the gospel, it's not just the one and done. Like, yes, it does save us. Once for all, we're, we're saved and we're saints. Like, that is sealed. We are siblings. But he knows we're going to need that grace in an ongoing way. And this is why he says, let that grace be with you and be with your spirit. These things that we're talking about, these realities, these things could never be done in our own strength, especially those that you know, we, we, we've been affected by sin. And so the, these realities, these, these longings that we have can only be uh, activated by the grace that comes from the gospel. So how do we respond to this? Um, well, I think number one, if you've never put your trust in Christ before. If you've never, by faith, allowed the Lord to make you a saint, that would be the first step. If you've always looked at Christianity as kind of like a list of do's and don'ts, and you know it's nice to go to church, and I want to be a better person, uh, and, and now you're hearing, oh, it, it's a gift. I receive a gift to be saved from my sin and be made a saint. If you're just hearing that for the first time, or maybe it's clicking for the first time, to receive that today by faith. If you want to explore that more, you, you could even go to our website, uh, mercyhouse365.org slash respond, and you can see a more detailed uh, explanation of the gospel. But this, this is like step one. I mean, these other things I'm talking about, 
They, they don't really apply to you until you've, you've gone to God and, and asked for his forgiveness and asked to be made a saint um, by his grace. The second thing is to ask yourself, am, am I part of a local church? Now, I may be a, a saint by grace and a sibling by grace, but am I living that sibling relationship out with actual human beings? Or is it just kind of a theory thing in my mind? Um, and, and, and so when I'm, when I'm giving that invitation, I also want you to know I'm giving that to every nation that's listening, every person of every color that's listening. I think sometimes folks that are maybe coming from outside American culture or white culture and they come into our church and are like, well, this church isn't for me. Like they welcome me, but they don't really want me. I want you to hear from me. We want you. We want to live as a family with, with all the nations in a, in a multi-ethnic congregation. We, we believe this is something that the gospel is authenticated by. Like, like as we live this out, as, as hard as that might be some days, as, as uh, awkward or uncomfortable or whatever the case may be, we believe this shows the world in a, in a clear way that the gospel's true. And, and it is also sweet. It's the fellowship between different brothers and sisters in Christ who are coming from all kinds of different places. As we do that because of, of, of the gospel, it, it is so sweet. And, and it has been such a, a blessing to me to walk beside other brothers and sisters in, in our church. So, I, again, if you're local and and, and you're hearing this, and you've always just like kind of put your toe in the water at Mercy House, I, I want to encourage you, join the church. Let, let's do this thing. Like, like step in. Let us, let us know. You, you, you can reach out uh, to us, uh, our church office. You, you can uh, use some of the different platforms that we've put out for communication with us. And uh, in the next few weeks, we'll actually be doing a Meet Mercy House class. And so if this is where you're at, we want to welcome you in. And, and it may just be you're ready to explore it. And that's fine too. Um, but this is, this is such a critical time for us to, to lean in to being family with each other, uh, no matter how hard it, that might be. If you're not local and you're watching this, I want to encourage you to be a part of a local church. It, it may be that, that you're not a part of one. And so if, if we can be of a help to you, uh, if you want us to help search for you or, or you want us to help vet the church or, you know, whatever. We're, I do this all the time. People are always emailing me, what do you think about this church, Pastor Rob? Hey, that, that's cool. We're happy to do that. But it's so important that you don't just have kind of this theory of, of who you are in Christ, but you actually live that out in a local uh, community. If you have both of these, if, if you're like, you, you know what, I, I know Christ. Uh, I, I put my faith in Christ and I'm, I've joined the church, then you need to be considering how can I serve my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I consider others more significant than myself? And especially those who are feeling like on, are on the outside, who, who are vulnerable, uh, who are powerless, who, who are, are, are feeling the pain of the last 12 days of protest way more than you. How, how could you reach out and put their interests in front of your own. This is when it, we really start to lean into what it means to be a true family of God, a true mercy house. And then fourth and finally, 
uh, as, as saints, as siblings, as servants, then how do we move out into the world and, and bringing these realities into the world? Because yes, we live them out in, in the church, but, but part of the demonstration of the gospel is, is then taking these realities into the world. And so, you know, I feel like that conversation is, is more wide open than it's ever been uh, before. And so we, we need to consider, how, how can we do that? How can we uh, participate in this? It, it, it's like a world-changing movement that's occurring right now. Uh, and so this is a window where we, ha- we have the opportunity uh, to make changes in the world. And so I've gone longer than usual. Um, and so if you have questions, please put those in the, in the chat, and we'll be, I'll be happy to address those personally or uh, or we'll perhaps do a blog post or something like that. And I appreciate those of you that have emailed me. Uh, and, and so I, I want you to know you can do that. Uh, my email is robert at and then mercyhouse365.org. Uh, and so there's been some really just great back and forth uh, about things, about issues and questions. And so you are, are, are welcome to do that. But I think in, in light of the scriptures that we just experience together and the concepts I, th- I think kind of the first the first thing the first thing to do is is pray is to go to the lord to praise him for who he is to confess those ways that we are not living up to these truths that we just talked about and uh, and then to request more grace so that we can obey these and so austin's going to come and he's going to lead us in prayer so let's pray